Won't that be an incredible day when we cast our crowns down before the Lord, when we are united with him in heaven to be with him throughout all of eternity. That's, that's the destination, right? That's the place that we're going. We're not on some journey where we're just kind of meandering along, don't know what we're doing. No, we know, we know where we're going and we have great hope and we have great joy. As we wrap up this series this morning, that's exactly what we're going to be talking about. Where is that destination and how does it begin? How does it begin even right now? It's not just a future thing. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, is here. It begins here and now and continues to grow and expand in us through all of eternity. Well, before we jump right into that, I want to remind you that we've got our James Bible reading plans. I invite you to take one of those uh, and uh, take it home to join with us in reading the scripture in preparation to study God's word here together. And then also I want to remind you that this Tuesday night, 7 p.m. right here in this room, our district superintendent, Reverend Jen Lucas, will be joining us. She'll share information about the United Methodist Church and what the required next steps are towards, dis towards a congregational vote on disaffiliation. And she'll take some questions as well. So we want to invite you to come join us for that. Please remember, Tuesday is uh, informational. It's not the vote, okay? So let me uh, get, get back into a uh, message here. I'm just so excited to be able to share God's word with you. And, you know, as we start, as, as we begin today, I ask you a question. Have you, in your spiritual life, have you decided just to settle? Just to settle. You know what I mean. Like, to say, well, here I am. It's kind of how I have been for a long time. And the fact is, it's just not going to get better. It's not terrible, it's not great, it's just gonna be right here. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna settle here. To settle is to choose to accept mediocrity. To say that, you know, this, things aren't great, things, they could be worse, could be better, but I'm just gonna stay right here. We do this in a variety of areas in life, right? Uh, maybe maybe in our physical bodies, if we just settle and decide, ah, I'm not going to worry about how I eat and exercise and all that, people might say we've let ourselves go, right? We've kind of stopped worrying or caring about that kind of stuff. If we do it in our finances, if we just settle, then perhaps we're going to miss some opportunities or maybe even let our spending get out of control, even go bankrupt. It's never a good thing to settle. The Roman philosopher Seneca said this, the wind is never favorable for those who don't know where they're sailing. I like that. <laughs> if you're in a sailboat and you don't know where you're going, the wind isn't a great thing because you're just going to know, go where you don't know even faster and further than you were already. We need a destination, amen? We need a destination in our spiritual journey and, and that destination is being made more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Throughout this series, we've talked about the fact that faith is a journey. It's a journey. And the logical question to ask on any journey is, where are we going? Why are we on this journey? What's the purpose of this? Heaven is the ultimate destination that we're heading for. And when you understand this, it changes your view of life here on earth. The world matters, this world here, but it's not the only thing that matters. 
We have all of eternity to look forward to. The, existing that God, the existence that God created us for. No sin, no separation from God. Perfection. Perfection. Like Garden of Eden restored kind of perfection. But Wesley was clear that this grace that helps us to grow more and more like Jesus, it should lead us to a specific destination, something that he referred to as being made perfect in love. What does that mean? Well, it's the opposite of settling in our spiritual life. Wesley would know no settling in the spiritual life. No, that was not his teaching whatsoever. His teachings on Christian perfection have often been misunderstood and and been made controversial because they can be tough to understand at first, but I believe they're some of his most powerful because Wesley paints for us a vision of our lives, our faith in Jesus, that is so much higher than what many of us have settled for, so much greater. We Because we often say things like, well, I'm not Jesus, I'm not perfect, so I'm just going to be defeated by temptation and sin until I die and then go to heaven someday. Wesley rejects that attitude. He, He says that there is hope that we can be made perfect in love here in this lifetime. It's a doctrine that kind of takes away excuses. Now, I remember the first time that I heard about this, I was in college and um, attending a a Methodist church there outside of Fort Wayne, Indiana. Uh, We had a a student pastor, um, and he started to talk about this, and it didn't make much sense to me. So I asked him afterwards, I said, what is that even, Christian perfection, being made perfect in love, what does this mean? And he said, oh, it's easy. You're perfect. I don't think he had taken the class on it yet because it's not exactly the right answer. And I just remember thinking, that's the dumbest thing I've heard. <laughs> You're not going to be perfect, right? I mean, a Christian who steps up to the, to the tee and hits a hole in one every time they swing the club, it's not going to happen, right? I mean, if that's us, then everybody would be a Christian, right? What does it mean to be made perfect in love? Well, Wesley said several things. I'm going to just follow an outline that that he himself went off, or that he himself wrote. A few ways that we will never be made perfect in this life. First of all, we'll never be perfect in knowledge, okay? Some of you think you've been made perfect in knowledge, perhaps, but you haven't, right? (laughs) You're like, no, that's not me. That's my spouse. I, I get it. But we, we never are going to be, know everything. We're just not. It's an incredible thing about being human. We're always learning. There's always so much more. We understand spiritual mysteries and the love of God more than we used to, but we'll always be learning about this. For God's ways are higher than our ways. So we need to remember that there's a lot we don't understand, and so we need to remain humble. Second, We'll never be made perfect in, as it comes to errors. We're still going to make mistakes. We can misunderstand the Bible. We can make mistakes in determining what's right and wrong. We can make mistakes still. That's part of being human. Third, we'll never be made perfect in terms of personal flaws. We're still going to have those. 
We're not talking about intentional acts of sin, but we can still make mistakes. We can still forget stuff. Uh, we can still stumble in our speech or experience physical fatigue or slowness. This still happens, of course. It's part of being human. And fourth, we never get rid of temptation here on this earth. There's nothing wrong with being tempted. Jesus himself was tempted. The question is, what do we do with that temptation? Jesus was tempted, but he did not sin. So that's how we don't experience. So how do we experience being made perfect in love here in this life? Well, first, we serve Christ instead of serving sin. That, that's the baseline to say, I want Jesus to be Lord, not Satan, not sin. So in every decision, I want to put Jesus first. He's my Lord. He's my leader. He's my master. He's the one who I'm following. Second, to be made perfect in love means to stop committing intentional acts of sin. You know what I mean. The, the opportunity to do wrong comes up. You know that it's wrong. You know that you shouldn't do it, but you do it anyway. Okay? To be made perfect in love means that we grow in such a place of spiritual maturity that we stop doing that. That when given the opportunity to sin, we say, you know what, I love Jesus so much, I don't want to go there. I don't want to do that. I know that's second best. I know that's not right for my life, so I don't want to do that. Third, we stop committing habitual sins. This is how it works for many of us. We, we don't commit the vast majority of sins out there, but we have those few, those one or two or four or five sins that we tend to commit pretty routinely. Wesley taught it's possible as we grow in love, in our love for God and love for others, that we stop doing that. That little by little, it's a lifelong process that we put these things away. And fourth, we stop committing outward sins. So you know, the, the Bible talks about sins of commission. Those are outward sins. Uh, there's also, you can have sins of omission, not doing the good that we could. Well, certainly there's always more good that we could be doing, okay? So one who's made perfect in love does not necessarily always do maximum good all the time. That may not be possible but we stop committing these outward acts of sin. They might be saying, okay, where, where does he get this idea from? Well, well, the core scriptures for this comes from the book of 1 John. We're going to be in chapter 3 this morning, verse 1. And I'm just going to go through this verse by verse. See how much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. It's important to understand that our growth in love is not rooted in ourselves. Because you might be hearing this and be like, oh man, I'm going to have to try really, really hard. No, it's not rooted in us, our own strength. It never, ever happens by our own strength. No, it's rooted in Jesus. It's rooted in the fact that we are God's children. At Pentecost, God sent, or the, the Holy Spirit fell upon the believers. The Holy Spirit fell upon the believers, and they were empowered. Remember, they poured out into the streets. They began sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, and, and thousands of people became followers of Jesus. This wasn't their own strength. This wasn't just like a really effective sermon. This wasn't just like, you know, Peter got it all right that day. No, this is the power of the Holy Spirit moving in and through them. 
It's not about our ability to try harder, to get smarter, or just to be all that we can be. No offense to the army folks here. It's not that. No, it's about being all that God has made us to be. It's not our our effort, it's God's effort. Our hope is to be that all that God makes us to be as we experience his perfect love and grace in our lives. Verse two, dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. Wesley's teaching on being made perfect in love does not mean that we can experience the fullness of who we will be in heaven here on earth. No, we have a ways to go. We will be like him. It's not that we are like that right now. We have a ways to go. The best is yet to come. But we can grow in love and move away from where we start off. We start off as being slaves to sin. That's how we're born into this world. Remember, we talked about that in the first week. And then when we give our life to Jesus, sometimes we can misunderstand and think that we are now just servants, people trying to earn our way. Or nope, that's not it. We're not trying to earn our way. Instead, we are adopted into God's family. So now we have this faith of a daughter or a son. Not the faith of a servant, but the faith of a son. Verse 3. And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure, just as he is pure. Wow, that's a high standard. It's saying that we who have this expectation of heaven, that our deepest desire is to keep ourselves pure as Jesus is pure. So as we look more and more like him, as we grow in our faith, it's like our lives get closer and closer to heaven. Not that we've fully arrived. You can't fully arrive in heaven here on earth. But that we get more and more like him. We have this eager expectation, it says. I like that. Those of you who are, who are married, do you remember back to your wedding day? Remember what you did that day as you got ready for the ceremony? It was a special day, I hope. It was a significant day. And I'm guessing, let's say that you got married uh, late in the afternoon. I'm guessing that you didn't spend the afternoon mowing the lawn, working on the car, going for a jog, something like that. And then, you know, about 15 minutes before you the service, you say, oh, I should head over to the church now, I guess, about that time. Probably not. At least I hope not. No, you spent the day getting ready, getting yourself emotionally prepared, getting yourself physically prepared. You got yourself cleaned up. You, uh, maybe you got your hair done or your makeup done. Uh, maybe you do whatever you do to be ready. You got to the church and you, uh, you got your best clothes on for that day, a very sacred and special day. We want to be ready. We want to be prepared. We have this eager expectation of what is to come. If somebody just showed up and said, I'm just going to get married in my old jeans and t-shirt here, we'd say, you don't get it. 
you don't understand how big of a deal this is. You've got you to be eager in your expectation. You've got to be preparing yourself for this. This is a big moment. A couple years ago, I did a wedding, and I, I typically go, I pray with the, with the groom and, and, and his guys, and then go in to pray with the bride and, and, and the wedding party there, and then come in, and we begin the service. So it's just about, it's under 10 minutes before start time, right? And I go to, and I knock on the door, and one of the bridesmaids cracks the door open. She says, what do you want? I said, oh, I was going to pray with you all. She goes, well, you can't come in. I said, okay. She goes, the bride doesn't have her dress on yet. I said, wedding starts in like eight minutes, you know. <laughs> we want to be ready. We want to be prepared. We, want, we have this eager expectation. But you know, as good as the preparation is, it's nothing compared to the event itself. It's nothing compared to the wedding itself, the being together, being made one in God's eyes, having this commitment to one another. The Bible often describes the church as the bride of Christ. So we're in this preparation stage now, and we're growing in holiness. As our life gets more and more cleaned up, more and more honoring to God, more and more the way that he made us to be, we're being prepared for an eternal marriage to our Savior. It's an incredible picture. Verse 4, everyone who sins is breaking God's law, for all sin is contrary to the law of God. And you know that Jesus came to take away our sins, and there is no sin in him. Anyone who continues to live in him will not sin. But anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him or understand who he is. Wow. That's a strong statement, don't you think? Anyone who continues to live in him will not sin. And that means sin on a continual basis. That tense in Greek there is an ongoing tense. Anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him or understand who he is. We don't like to think this way. When we think about sin, we prefer to think in terms of percentages, right? Like, I am... 99% sin-free. I'm so much better than my neighbor or most of the people I know, right? I mean, God really, God should be pretty happy with that, right? I am 99% sin-free. Isn't that, isn't that something? Well, if you go to lunch today and the waitress delivers your drink and says, hey, good news, it's only 1% cat urine, I'm not drinking it. I don't know about you. I'm not settling for that. Why should we settle? Why should we settle? Anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him or understand who he is. This is rooted, again, this is not legalism, okay? This is rooted in something so much deeper than just our own effort. Because clearly, as fallen humans... Being made perfect in love is not going to happen. This is not just a matter of trying harder our own effort, right? It's looking to Jesus. Jesus came to this earth. He lived the perfect life, and he died so that our chains of sin and death can be broken. 
Remember, we talked about this in the first week, right? We used this, this chain to illustrate sin, right? And Jesus came, and he himself, he took the chains. When he went to the cross, he picked up our sin, our chains. The Bible says that he, Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us so that we might be made known the righteousness of God in him. That when Jesus went to that cross, that Jesus took my chain and your chain. And so now we can have freedom. We don't have to live with these chains on us anymore. So there's such great hope in this. But the thing is, when we choose to continue to sin, when we say, ah, you know, I'm... I'm going to go, I'm going to settle for where I'm at. I'm going to go for the 99% thing, or the, maybe it's 94% or wherever you're at. You know, what we're doing is we're saying, you know, I'm just going to kind of, I don't mind these chains. They're really not that big of a deal. I'm just, I'm going to live like this, you know. It's not much of a way to live. What does that look like to Jesus, the one who gave himself for you, so that you don't have to live like this? Jesus wants you to be free. He wants these chains to be gone. That's why he died on the cross. That's why he rose from the dead, so that we can be free. Sometimes we don't live into our full inheritance. And Wesley challenges us to do just that. Think of it this way. Let's say that you, uh, you, were, you, you were starting off, you know, as a young adult, and you didn't really have much. Life had been pretty rough so far. And you lived in this old house here, right? Like this, this, this old trailer I think we've got. Yeah, let's say that was your house, right? It's not a great house. Some of you are like, yeah, that looks like my old house, actually. It's okay. But let's say you're, that, that's where you were at. And let's say that one day you got a visit from your uncle. But your uncle's just not anybody. This is your Uncle Elon, right? Yeah, you know, your Uncle Elon Musk, right? And he pulls up in, you know, his, his nice Tesla, right? And he gets out and he says, this is a dump. What, what, what is my niece, what is my nephew doing living like this? I'm like one of the richest people in the history of the world, right? Tell you what, here's what I'll do. I'm going to give you... Uh, I'm, I'm going to give you a million bucks, right? Uh, you can go, you can buy this place, this new house here. Let's, let's, let's go move here. Yeah, you can you live here, right? You can have the pool. You can have all the nice stuff, right? You're going to be a great house. You're going you're gonna to forget about that trailer before you knew it, right? And, and, and that, with that million bucks, you know, you, you could buy some new clothes too, right? You could be dressed better. And, and, and I'm going to give you, hey, I'll give you a brand new Tesla, right? Because I own the company, right? You know, shoot, maybe I'll send you to Mars someday. I can do that too, you know? But that's what I'll do for you because you're my niece. You're my nephew. And I love you. I care about you. Imagine you said, wow, Uncle Elon, thank you. You are, you are such a kind and generous guy, right? Like, that is just, that is so nice of you, you know? But, but I, I don't know. I kind of like the house I'm living in. I mean, the, the rats are really quite friendly when you think about it. And if, 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 you, give me a, if, if you give me a new car, then... Uh, 
Well, the thing is, mine breaks down all the time, and it's an awesome excuse on those days I don't want to work. I was like, sorry, car broke down, can't come in, right? If you gave me a new car, they'd know that's a lie, so I, I, I'll pass. Are you crazy? <laughs> You've got to be kidding me. You, you want to live in a dump when you've been offered a million dollars by a guy for whom a million dollars means nothing. You must be crazy. How often do we look just like that to the Lord? Jesus died so that we can be set free. He paid it all. He paid the price. He took our chains. He took our shame. He took our sin. He took our guilt. He took all of it on his body. He paid the price so that we don't have to live with this stuff anymore. Imagine what it's like to be Jesus and to see us continuing to live in sin when he knows that there's so much more. There's so much more. Why would we do this? Well, there's probably a lot of reasons. I think at the root of them, it always comes back to pride. I'd rather do it my way, God. Yeah, I know you're God. I think your way is higher than my ways, blah, 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 blah. I kind of like my ways, honestly. That's what we're really saying when we choose sin. Intentional acts of sin, as Wesley's talking about. When I know that God's calling me here and I choose to go here, it's pride. It's arrogance. It's settling for something that is less than what it should be. In any relationship, any significant relationship, it takes a big commitment. When you think back to that wedding day, if that relationship is to succeed, you're both going to have to be 100% in. It's not a 50-50 deal. <laughs> that never works. It's 100-100. And it's not easy. It's not easy at all. It's going to take an all-in commitment. Can, can a marriage succeed if one of you says, I am 90% into this marriage. You know, I am... I promise to be faithful to you in sickness and in health 90% of the time. When you're really sick, I'm out. I don't have time for that. <laughs> Not going to work. I'll promise I will be 90% faithful to you. Nope. Not going to work. None, none of us would settle for that. None of us would settle for someone who will be often faithful to us. Nope. We want it all in, 100%. And of course, every illustration breaks down, and so does this one, because in marriage, we are married to another imperfect human being, right? So in marriage, it's good, for this to work, it's going to take a lot of grace, a lot of forgiveness, because we're both going to mess it up. The difference is, in our relationship with Jesus, one of us is perfect all the time. His name is Jesus, and the other one is me. Not all the time perfect. I've got to grow. I've got to grow more and more like Jesus. And he gives me the power to do so. Through the Holy Spirit, that as I grow in faith, 
as I grow in my knowledge of the Lord, as I grow in my love for the Lord, this is a lifetime kind of process, a lifelong kind of process. It doesn't just happen in a couple of years. Dear, verse 7, dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it shows they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. But when people keep on sinning, it shows they belong to the devil who's been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Think about that. Jesus died to give you freedom from sin, freedom from the reign of the devil in your life, freedom to experience new life and wholeness in Jesus Christ. Stop choosing to live under Satan's domain. Stop that. Stop choosing. Stop choosing to live in that dump that Satan has you living in when Jesus wants to put you in a mansion. Stop choosing these things. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Yet when I choose to sin, I go and try to rebuild those works in my own life. That's a bad plan. Verse 9, those who've been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. So now we can tell who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously does not love other believers and does not belong to God. Wow. When I continue to choose sin... I'm showing that at best I have this faith of a servant. I'm not living like a son. I'm living like a, a hired hand, if you will. Now, friends, I've, as I read these passages, I don't know about you, but I find them to be highly convicting. I do. I'm certainly not there in my life. You may not be either. And it would be easy for us to sit here this morning and say, that's a standard for the super Christians. I'm out. That's not me. I'm just going to, I knew I was settling for a reason. I'm just going to keep it right here. That's not what the Lord calls us to. God doesn't have you here today to shame you, to make you feel terrible about yourself, to make you feel there is no hope. No, it's the opposite, in fact. Anyone clearly anyone is who is going to live out these standards is only going to do so by the grace of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit. So today what we're saying is we're saying yes to more of the Holy Spirit in our lives, more of God's power, more of God's love, more when I'm tempted to sin I'm saying, God, would you convict me of that? Would you convict me even more? Would you help me to see this is not why you died for me? This is second best, or is not good at all. I, I'm not settling for this. I want, by your power, to choose what's right. And when I stumble, I'm going to get back up. Because that's how good our Heavenly Father is. You see, when you stumble and you fall, He doesn't just say, nope, you're out. No, He extends grace to you and love to you. He reaches and He pulls us back up onto our feet. And He continues to walk with us. It doesn't matter how far you've gotten away from the Lord, friends. It's one step back. It's, this is not a message of legalism. This is not a message of condemnation. No, this is a message of hope. 
Hope that things can be better than they are today in your life. Hope that if, if you've been struggling with sin, that God doesn't want you to stay there. In fact, he empowers you. He empowers you by his Holy Spirit to live differently. So we're going to keep studying God's word. We're going to keep spending time in prayer. We're going to keep worshiping God because as we grow closer in this relationship, it gets sweeter and sweeter and sweeter. In a great marriage, as you grow closer to one another, it becomes more and more likely that you're gonna do those things that build up the relationship, and less likely that you're gonna do those things that tear it down. A successful couple can remember back in the early days when we fought about this, 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 and we don't have to fight about those anymore because we learned, we learned how to grow in love for each other. And, and where we still have stumbles and struggles, we want to work on those because we want the best. We don't want to just settle for where we're at. We want the absolute best we can have with each other. The same is true with Jesus. He wants the absolute best with you. In fact, he died to make that possible. So Jesus, thank you for your love and for your grace in our lives. God, we give you thanks and praise that you are so good. Lord, we know that on our own strength, God, we could never live this out. We know that on our own strength, we will continue to live lives in sin, lives that don't look like you. But God, I just pray that by your power, by your love, by your grace, that you would strengthen us to follow you that you, through your power, would make us holy, even as you are holy, O oh God. We're asking for that today. I pray for the one who may have settled a long time ago. Would you wake him up? Wake us up, God. Wake us up. We don't want to live this way anymore. We don't want to be slaves to sin. We want freedom, true freedom. You died so we could have it. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to live into that freedom which you have given to us. God, we give you thanks and praise this day. Lord, we love you. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name, amen.